Sipper Doctrina Podcast. What is up, everyone? This is your host, Elijah Hoyer. And today we have a little bit of a special episode for you in the sense that, you know, I'm not just going to ramble on about a random topic. Well, actually I am, but just in a different form. Uh, Today I'm actually going to just give one of the sermons that I've given. And by that, I mean one that's already been recorded. So this is a little bit different. If you guys like this, let me know. I would love to hear your thoughts on that. And if you would like to hear some of my other sermons, If not, also let me know, because that lets me know not to do this again. Uh, So with that being said, we're going to start the podcast episode. Uh, I'm going to be in Mark 8, 22 through 30. Uh, So feel free to listen to the rest of this if you so desire. So let's get started. Good afternoon, Elevate. Uh, It is so wonderful to be here tonight and to gather together and worship our holy God. Uh, The truths that we proclaimed in that song, I believe those truths to be 100% true. And uh, it's just a beautiful message of God reaching out to lowly sinners like us, um, but not holding that against us. Um, He adopts us, he calls us his children, and we can call him our father. And I, I love that, I love that we can come together and proclaim that tonight. Um, For those of you who do not know me, I I think most of you know me, but for those of you who do not, uh, thank you. Thank you, Greg. (laughs) Um, So I was a youth intern here at the youth group for the last, for two years, and then this summer I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, where I am now um, going to attend to seminary so that I can become a pastor. Um, So I I am so happy to be back. Uh, It is refreshing my soul being here, and I've, I'm just, I've been so encouraged already. Tonight we are going to be continuing on in your series in Mark, and we are going to be specifically in Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 30. So as you guys are turning there, I want you guys to be thinking about this question. Have you ever thought you knew someone until you find out more information about that person, and you realize you didn't really know who they were? I've got a story like that in my life. I remember I was probably about a freshman in high school, and my mom came up to me and was like, hey, your Uncle Alfred is not doing well. He's in the hospital. Please be praying for him. Uh, I'm actually about to leave Wichita and drive out to be with him in the hospital. And, you know, I was concerned, um, but I had no idea who this Uncle Alfred was. Uh, In my family, it's not uncommon for... Uh, my mom's cousins to be considered my uncle, and maybe they're cousins I've never even met, or maybe it was her great uncle or something like that. So I, I turned to my mom, I'm like, yeah, I will for sure be praying, but who's Uncle Alfred? And my mom looks at me just with the, like this disapproving look, like, do you not really know who your Uncle Alfred is? I'm like, well, there's Uncle Joe, but he passed away a few years ago. Uh, and then there's Uncle Ugg. And my mom busts up laughing. She's like, your Uncle Ugg is Uncle Alfred. Um, so funny story, my mom from the time I was really little thought it would be funny if all of her kids called my Uncle Alfred Uncle Ugg as an Uncle Ugly. So for that whole time in my life, I had no idea that my uncle's actual name was Alfred. And that's just a funny mishap. But what we are going to see in this story 
is that we must have our eyes completely opened by God to see who Jesus is clearly. It's not enough just to know all these random facts about Jesus. It's not enough to know just some of the things that he has done. We have to have our eyes radically opened by God so that we can see who Jesus is clearly. I think the book of Mark has a couple pinnacles in it. The obvious one is the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. But I would say the second one is actually what we are going to be reading tonight. Much of the stories going on around this, around this chapter, it is just building up for this moment, for this passage that we are going to read tonight. So without further ado, let's dive right into the text. Chapter 8, verse 22. They came to Bethsaida, that, mean, that is Jesus and his disciples. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. When he took, he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then, he, then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, Don't even go into the village. Verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on, on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. This is the word of the Lord. So as I was reading through that and as you guys were listening, you may be thinking those are some cool stories, but I don't necessarily see what the healing of the blind man has to do with the confession that Peter makes. How are those tied together? They're cool stories, but it just seems kind of random that they're right next to each other. And in order for us to see how the story of the healing of the blind man is connected to Peter proclaiming Jesus as the Christ, we have to dive into the different context of the verses surrounding this passage. So you guys don't have to flip over, but in Mark chapter 7, we see that Jesus heals the Syrophoenician woman's daughter who is, um, who is possessed by an evil spirit. That Syrophoenician woman was a Gentile. She was not a Jewish person, but yet she, hearing who Jesus is, had faith that he could heal her daughter. So she ran to him and pleaded for him to heal her daughter. The disciples were present with Jesus. After that, Jesus heals a deaf and mute man. Again, the disciples are present with Jesus. Jesus then feeds the 4,000 in the beginning of chapter 8. Again, the disciples are with Jesus. Then uh, Jesus warns them in verse 14 about the, the yeast of the Pharisees. There's so much I could dive into about that. We're not going to look into that too much. But I wanted to point out verse 16 of what the disciples are talking about. Chapter 8, verse 16. 
They discussed this with one another and said, It is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets of pieces did you pick up? They answered him, seven. And Jesus said to them, do you still not understand? So we see that the disciples have been walking around with Jesus, have been seeing Jesus perform these great miracles that no prophet before has ever performed, that Jesus is healing people, that Jesus is multiplying food out of seven loaves and and just doing these amazing great things. But when they didn't have bread, they start disputing about how they're going to have bread. And Jesus is with them and it's like, you've seen all these things, but yet you do not understand. And that's where we pick up in verse 12, where Jesus heals the blind man. He's in Bethsaida. People bring the blind man to him, and Jesus brings the blind man out of the city and heals him. But we see that it's a gradual progression. It's not that just Jesus touches his eyes and says, you're healed, feel, go, just go, you can see now. Jesus heals him partially and then heals him fully. And we have to ask, why is that? Was it that Jesus just didn't have enough power to heal him in one, t- in one shot? No, that's not it. Was it that this man just lacked so much faith that, that he, was, he, he just doubted Jesus so much that, you know, it just, he was just a particularly special case? No, that's not what it is. Rather, Jesus is using this healing moment to teach his disciples The disciples, like the blind man, could see in part who Jesus is. It's like they looked at Jesus and there was this great big oak, but they cannot, oak tree, but they cannot describe who he is clearly. Their vision of Jesus was blurry. So Jesus lovingly is teaching his disciples in the second time of him touching the blind man, of completely healing him showing them that that is what's going to happen to the disciples. Sinclair Ferguson, a pastor and theologian, says this about this passage. What is the significance of this? Was it that this man was a particularly difficult case for Jesus? Hardly. Was it this miracle then, like others, was this miracle then, like others, a sign? Yes. But for who? To the man? No. But to the disciples. And this is confirmed by the fact that Jesus had already asked them about their vision of him in verse 18. He, he was now leading them by the hand to the point at which their sight would become much clearer. And Peter would confess, you are the Christ. Their spiritual understanding did not come instantaneously, but gradually. They too needed the second touch from the hands of their master. So just as Jesus was gradually opening the eyes of the blind man, so he was doing for the disciples. 
as they are walking along with him, seeing him heal others. They are starting to see a more full picture of who Jesus is. And all of Mark up to this point is leading up to Peter confessing Jesus as the Christ. So let's pick up in verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the village around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, but still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. I think it's very interesting how Jesus goes about this question of who he is. He doesn't first ask them, who do you say I am? He first asks them, who do others say that I am? And the unfortunate truth of this generation in the Bible is that many did not see Jesus for who he truly was. Many of them were deceived by these lies, saying that he was just John the Baptist or he was just a prophet. In our modern age, there are many people that do the same thing with Jesus. There are many that look at Jesus and say, he was nothing more but just a moral teacher. There are some that look at Jesus and say, this is who Jesus is. He aligns with this political side. Jesus was maybe a communist. Jesus was maybe a conservative. And they use Jesus and run with that idea. And they're not actually seeing who Jesus actually is. Then there are some, that, there are some today that see Jesus as a lunatic. And they say all that he said were lies. Yeah, maybe he said some good things. But he's greatly just a liar. And Jesus is not wanting his disciples to listen to what the world is saying about him. But they're wanting the disciples to see him for who he truly is. And who we say Christ is changes everything. That's the next point. Who we say Christ is changes everything. So Jesus then asked them the, the big question of this, of this chapter. But what about you, he asked who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Now, I think many of us, having, assuming that most of us grew up in the church, maybe hear the word Messiah or hear the word Christ. And we've just heard that word so much that we don't really know what that word means. So I want to stop for a moment to talk about what the word, what the title Christ means. Christ is not Jesus' last name, but it's something that is, that is entitled to him, that's given to him. Uh, the word Christ can also be interchanged with Messiah. So Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. So Christ, Greek, Messiah, Hebrew. But those are, that, that's great, but we're still not talking about what is the Messiah. The Messiah means anointed one. We could also translate that as the chosen one. So how, how is Jesus the chosen one? I think Ephesians 1, 7 through 10 clarifies what, the, what it means for Jesus to be the chosen one. And that, that passage should be up on the screen. In him we have redemption through his blood, 
the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. Pay attention to this line, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That is what it means for Jesus to be the Christ. It means that Jesus is the Savior of the world. It means that Jesus is the one that has fulfilled the promise that God made in Genesis. In Genesis, uh, in Genesis chapter 1, God creates Adam. Adam is meant to care for this world. And, and when there was a time when a serpent came in, and instead of Adam crushing the serpent because the serpent was lying, he instead bought into the lie of the serpent and became a slave to the serpent by sinning against God. God did not just leave them there to their own sin, but God made a great promise Someday there will be a seed of the woman who will do the job that our father Adam should have done. But in the second Adam, in the seed of the woman, he will crush the head of the serpent. Peter is proclaiming there that Jesus is the fulfillment of the seed of the woman. He is the one that is, that, that passage in Genesis chapter 3 is pointing to. Peter is also proclaiming there that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenants. When God said to Abraham that I will make a great nation out of you and through your seed all nations will be blessed. What Peter is proclaiming there is that Jesus is the one that that passage is pointing to. And that is great news for us because when it says all nations are blessed, it's not just saying that the select people of Israel are going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. But it is saying that through this seed, through Jesus Christ being the Messiah, that all of us in here are, who is not ethnic Israel have been invited to enter into the, into the kingdom of God, have been invited to call God as our Father and to be adopted as his sons. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenants where God makes a promise to King David that he will have a son who sits on the throne forever and ever and ever, amen. And that is what Peter is proclaiming, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things. Jesus is the fulfillment of the, of the Torah, of the law, of the prophets, of the Psalms. And all of the Old Testament is pointing forward to Jesus to be the one that saves Israel, and not just Israel, but saves the world so that the world can be reconciled and united again with God. That is what it means for Jesus to be the Christ. Who we say Christ is changes everything. We can't just chalk Jesus up to be this moral teacher that is not the Son of God. That's just a lie. We cannot just say that Jesus was a prophet who did many great things, but, you know, he didn't really save us from anything. No, to say that Jesus is a Christ is to admit and to confess that Jesus is the one who died on the cross for our sins, bearing our sins, putting our sins on him, and taking the wrath of God that was reserved for us, the punishment that we should have had, and dying, and then three days later, resurrecting so that those who confess him as a Christ are now brought to life in him. That is the good news of the gospel. And that is what it means to confess Jesus as Christ. Who we say Christ is changes everything.
and to tie the passage before that we just read in with this confession of Peter, we see that God is the only one who can open the eyes of the spiritually blind. Matthew 16, 17, which is the same account of Peter confessing Jesus as Christ, says, gives this extra information that Mark didn't include. 16, 17. It will be up on the screen. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Simon is Peter's other name. So Simon Bar-Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter did not come to this conclusion that Jesus is the Christ out of his own mind. It's not that he just looked around at, at the skies and heard someone say something random and then him be like, oh yeah, Jesus is the Christ. No, it is something that is a work of the Spirit in him. Now there may be some of us in here that may think, oh, I can, out of my own knowledge, not being transformed by the Lord, confess Jesus as Christ. But what we see in Romans 1, 18 through 20 is that that's not true. Romans 1, 18 through 20, which will be up on the screen. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteous men, who by their unrighteousness suppresses the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. What this passage is saying is that we in our worldliness, we in our flesh without the spirits doing any work in our life would never ever choose God, would never ever confess Jesus as the Christ. But instead in our worldliness and our sin and our rebellion against God, we will always in our flesh choose to deny Jesus, choose to deny God as the one and only God. So it is necessary for the Lord, through his spirit, to do this work in our life of regeneration. And by regeneration, I mean making our hearts new, bringing us from death to life. And that is what, Pete, what, that is what Jesus says in John 3, 3 through 8. It will be up on the screen. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. We must be regenerated by the Spirit. And in him regenerating us, he shows us the truth of who Jesus is, that he is our Lord, that he is our Savior, that he is the Messiah. He is the only one who can take away our sins, and it is only in him that we can be declared righteous so that we can then have fellowship with God. 
That is beautiful, beautiful news. I'm going to invite the band up. I found this quote from R.C. Sproul. Uh, He passed away about, I think, in 2017. uh, But he's a pastor that has greatly impacted my life and my walk with Jesus. And he says this about this passage. When we stand up publicly and join a church, we declare to our friends, our neighbors, and all watching the world, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I believe he is the Christ. I believe that he is the son of the living God. If you believe that, that same benediction which, that Jesus pronounced on Peter is your benediction. He says, blessed are you. Because this is not something you learned in kindergarten or from the newspaper or from the TV. Flesh and blood do not reveal this kind of information, but you believe in your heart that he is the Christ. You are, but when you believe in your heart that he is the Christ, you are blessed above all people because God has allowed you to see this truth. And to that I say amen. I beg of you tonight, if you do not know and declare Jesus as the Christ, the one who has come to save you, I beg of you, turn to him, repent of your sinful ways against him, and come into his loving embrace where he welcomes all who, who come to him in brokenheartedness. And for those of you who are already in the warm embrace of Christ, Be encouraged by this message that it is God who has shown you the truth of who Jesus is and has welcomed you into his warm embrace. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for being the Christ, the chosen one, who the scriptures has proclaimed of and foretold of. Thank you for fulfilling that and for taking on all of our sin so that through your son, Jesus Christ, we might be reconciled and united with you, Lord. Lord, I pray for those here tonight who may not know you as the Christ, but maybe know some information about you. I pray that through the work of your spirits that you would draw them into you and that they would declare you as their Lord and Savior. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for tuning in today. I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. Again, today was a little bit of a different type of episode. So let me know what you think. I would really love to hear your thoughts. You can find me on Instagram at SimpleDoctrina. Or you can just follow any of the links in the description. And maybe leave a voice message if you so desire. Uh, So with that and with Christmas coming up, I want to say that we will not be having episodes for the next couple weeks. However, I am going back home to Wichita and I will be there for a couple weeks and I will have the opportunity to interview a couple of my friends. Uh, Not so much interview, but you know, do an episode with them. So keep your ears out for that. And until then, have a Merry Christmas and I will catch you next time.